Share Care, helping you. Get younger, get guidance, get better care, get smart, get fit. Radio MD presents Share Care Radio with Daria Long Gillespie, MD. Welcome back. This is Dr. Daria. Are you confused about the new guidelines on fat and cholesterol? What about the health impact of artificial sweeteners and sugar? My guest today requires no introduction. He is Dr. David Katz. He's a founding director of the Yale Griffin Preventive Research Center. He's president of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, editor-in-chief of Childhood Obesity Journal, and he's a clinical instructor at Yale School of Medicine. He's recognized globally for his expertise in nutrition, weight management, and prevention of chronic disease. So David, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Daria. My pleasure. Thank you. I want to just jump right in. You know, what, as far as your background, what got you interested specifically in this lifestyle and preventive medicine aspect? It's the big picture. You know, I, I think a lot of us in science are prone to tunnel vision. That, that really gets rewarded. You know, if you want to win a Nobel Prize, it, it often involves looking through a microscope for years and years, studying a compound or a small set of compounds. And we learn a lot in science that way. But I think some of us are just naturally prone to kind of step back and, and take in the view from altitude, and, and I'm built more that way. And if you look at what's going on in modern epidemiology, it's all about lifestyle. Essentially, 80% of the chronic disease burden in the world could go away if we didn't smoke, ate optimally, were physically active, controlled our weight, got enough sleep, managed our stress, and had strong social connections, or basically loved somebody, mm-hmm. hugged somebody, mm-hmm. and got them to hug us back. So feet, forks, fingers, sleep, stress, and love. And from my perspective, you know, there's nothing in all of biomedicine, nothing for which a Nobel Prize was ever awarded that can rival that. And nobody ever got a Nobel Prize for anything that could eliminate 80% of all chronic yeah. disease. We're talking heart disease, cancer, stroke, diabetes, dementia. So I just gravitated toward the big picture. I, you know, I, I'm a forest guy, I guess. You know, a lot of us maybe focus on trees. I tend to focus on the forest. That's where the action is, and that's where I want to be. And that's a staggering number. 80% of chronic disease are due to our lifestyle. So one of those you said was what we're eating and our nutrition. And there have been a bunch of different new guidelines through the FDA. I want to ask you about those. Number one, fat. Let's talk quickly about the – and explain to our listeners the you know trans versus saturated versus unsaturated, good and bad. Tell us about that. Yeah, so th- this is a topic I've written about many times, and, and most recently I, I wrote a column called Ending the Big Fat Debate, and, and I want to give the punchline first so that people don't get confused and lost in the weeds here. Eat wholesome foods in sensible combinations. Eat the foods that you know for sure are good for you, and the fat will take care of itself along with the carbs and the protein and the fiber and the vitamins and the minerals. And, and to clarify further, you know, what are the healthy sources of fat? Nuts seeds, avocado, olives, olive oil, fatty fish, those are the best. If those are prominent in your diet, you just can't go too far wrong, and you don't have to try to cut fat out if you're eating lots of vegetables, fruits, whole grains, beans, and lentils, because those are highly nutritious foods, low in fat. All right, so that's the Mm punchline. Now, in terms of the good, the bad, the ugly, the ugly really is trans fat, and it's on its way out of the food supply. So the FDA action there was in effect, to ban trans fat. And that ruling is phased in over about three years. So little by little, Mm -hmm. food manufacturers will be jettisoning their remaining reserves of trans fat or partially hydrogenated oil over the next three years. So for the time being, you still have to be wary about it. You have to look for partially hydrogenated oil on labels. 
the other big news about fat isn't so much the FDA, but rather the report of the 2015 Dietary Guidelines Advisory Committee. And they wisely said, we really don't need to focus on our total intake of fat because fat is a mix of good and bad. Saturated fat, I still think, is more bad than good, despite all the recent attention to it, Daria, uh, mostly by people who actually haven't read the studies. Uh, what those studies suggest is maybe it's not as bad as we once thought, and maybe it's no worse for us than an excess of sugar, but none of those studies that we've all heard so much about in the popular press said anything about saturated fat being good for us. Contrast that to omega-3 fat, a kind of polyunsaturated fat, or the monounsaturated fat in olives and olive oil and avocado and nuts, those are actually good for us. So, you know, I'm not sure when not bad became the standard we're shooting for in nutrition. So the Dietary Guidelines Advisory Committee understood that. They said we really should be getting most of our fat as monounsaturated, polyunsaturated, limited amounts of saturated fat. And again, the best way to do that is to eat wholesome foods and sensible combinations. And they, they made pretty much the same emphasis on food categories that I just gave. Plenty mm-hmm. of vegetables, fruits, whole grains, beans, lentils, those are lower non-fat foods that are highly nutritious. And then nuts, seeds, avocado, olives, olive oil, fish, seafood, those are high-fat foods that are highly nutritious. And if that makes up the bulk of your diet, you're not getting any trans fat because you're avoiding highly processed foods. You're getting plenty of monounsaturates from nuts, seeds, olives, avocado. You're getting plenty of polyunsaturates from grains, vegetables, nuts, seeds, fish, and seafood. And you'll get a little bit of saturated fat if you eat some meat. You'll get some from fish. You'll get some from nuts and seeds. If you eat dairy, you'll get some there. And it all comes out in the wash. So, you know, again, we, we could talk about it in great detail. We could talk about specific fatty acids. You know, the interesting thing about saturated fats, for example, is they're not all created equal. So some clearly contribute to inflammation and atherosclerosis, but some of the interesting ones don't. Stearic acid is a long-chain saturated fat. It predominates in dark chocolate, and it is innocuous. There's no evidence that it's good for us, Daria, but it's not harmful. And then the one that's getting, yeah, and the one that's getting even more attention these days because it has to catch up in terms of the science is lauric acid, which is a short-chain saturated fat that predominates in coconut oil. There's a lot of attention now to coconut oil, and maybe it's a good choice for cooking, and, and maybe it is. But again, the, the best science about these saturated fats is that they're not harmful. There really isn't any evidence that they're beneficial. So I still say focus on wholesome foods and sensible mm-hmm. combinations. The fats will sort themselves out. And I think the Dietary Guidelines Advisory Committee is there. The FDA certainly was helpful in banning trans fat. In, in terms of their other regulations about food labels, they've got some catching up to do. They've, they've got some antiquated rules that, for example, preclude saying a product is healthy if the total fat mm-hmm. content is high. But that's just silly. But the total right. fat content of walnuts is high, and they're a superfood, mm-hmm. and the total fat content of almonds is high. So, so the FDA mm-hmm. regulations take a while to catch up, and they've got a bit okay. of work to do there. But what you're saying, again, is kind of a big-picture look at the forest. If you make sure that you're getting these good, healthy foods in there that you talk about, you don't have to focus so much on, did I get specific numbers of unsaturated versus different kinds of fats, because you're looking at the overall diet and looking for good, healthy food. It's absolutely the way to go, Daria. If you get the foods right, you get all the nutrients right. You you really can't go wrong. If you focus Mm -hmm. on any given nutrient, 
it's pretty possible and even likely that you'll be inventing a new way to eat badly. You know, I mean, look what we've done for decades in this country. We cut fat. Yeah. You know, we, yes. we didn't go from eating too much salami to eating lots of spinach. We, we went from eating too much salami to eating snack well cookies, and all we did was get yeah. fatter and sicker. And then when we cut carbs, you know, we invented low-carb junk food, and then we invented mm-hmm. sugar-free junk food, and now we've invented right. gluten-free junk food. So, you know, it doesn't really matter what nutrient you pick. It's so easy to miss the forest for the trees with diet. If you get the foods right, the nutrients take care of themselves. That's awesome. I love that. That's a very easy way to look at it. Speaking of specific nutrients, just just to go into one for a second, there was this recent news about cholesterol and right, the impact right. of dietary cholesterol. So you know, a lot of people are wondering, can they eat their eggs and red meat again? But, of course, you're talking about some of those being saturated fats as well. Well, yeah, so eggs and red meat I would unbundle. Um, so th- this also was in the report of the Dietary Guidelines Advisory Committee. I think they got this right. They basically said dietary cholesterol should no longer be a nutrient of concern. The, the evidence linking cholesterol in the diet to cholesterol in the blood has gotten weaker and weaker and weaker as we've accumulated more science. To be honest, th- this makes sense to me. I-, I often turn to evolutionary biology to fill gaps in the current science, and Cholesterol from eggs in particular, but also bone marrow, organ meats, has been part of the the native human diet for a very Mm -hmm. long time. And Generally, you expect that we would be adapted to eat foods and nutrients that have long been part of our diet, and that proves to be the case. So really almost no evidence that dietary cholesterol from eggs or seafood is contributing to the risk for heart disease in the modern Mm -hmm. age. Now, one interesting aside here, Daria, and that is, in people who eat a very low-fat, low-cholesterol diet, adding cholesterol to the diet may exert a greater effect and bump up lipids. So what we're comparing egg ingestion to, for example, here, is the typical American diet. Okay. So in contrast to the typical American diet, where, where maybe people stopped eating eggs, but they started eating bagels and donuts for breakfast, uh, we really have no evidence that, that cholesterol is harmful. And eggs otherwise are a highly nutritious food, and they're very satiating. They're very high in protein. They fill you up. They're very convenient. They're inexpensive. So I think basically we got that wrong. Uh, you know, we, mm-hmm. we cut eggs out of our diet. We didn't make our diets better. We made them worse. I think the Dietary Guidelines Advisory Committee has correctly judged the overall weight of evidence, concluded that dietary cholesterol per se is not a nutrient of concern. But let's be clear here. Mm-hmm. Nobody is saying that the typical American is egg deficient, right? And we're not <laughs> protein deficient. And So if you look at the, you know, w- what are the foods we need to eat more of to be healthier? Eggs don't show up on that list. Vegetables show up on that list. Fruits show up on that list. Whole grains show up on that list. Beans and lentils show up on that list. You know, all the foods that, that are really most associated with health. So I would say it, it's correct that dietary cholesterol is not a concern. If you like to eat eggs, eating eggs occasionally, absolutely fine. If you like to eat seafood, absolutely fine. You mentioned meat, and it's true that, of course, meat and dairy are sources of cholesterol, but they also are sources of saturated fat, which has not Mm -hmm. been exonerated. And and the Dietary Guidelines Advisory Committee still does caution us about our total intake of saturated fat. So I'd say eat lean meat and be cautious there about portions if you're going to eat meat. Same with with full-fat dairy. But adding, adding those foods, eggs in particular, seafood to your diet, not a concern, but also not the main mechanism to promote your health. You want to do that? More vegetables, more fruits, more whole grains, more nuts, more seeds, more beans, more lentils. 
Awesome. That's very helpful. And it's a really good way, again, getting back to, to focus on the healthy things that we know are good for you. Eat those. But you know, put you can eat. You don't have to totally shun eggs if you want to have them. But again, everything in moderation. Well, absolutely. Now, and and Daria, some food. Let's face it. You know, food should be fun too. Uh, mm-hmm. My wife has a wonderful recipe website for those who cook called Quizinicity. Everything's available for free there, by the way. So it's C U I S I N. Yeah, I'm spelling it. So it's like Cuisine City. C U I S I N I C I T Y. Quizinicity dot com. Uh, but but you know before we went on air, you were asking me. You know you you spent time training in New Haven. You know, can we still go to Sally's Pizza? And my answer was hell yeah. <laughs> Why? Thank goodness. Yeah yeah, because it's delicious. So mm-hmm. you know we, we have to remember that that food should be fun. Uh, you know I think pleasure is healthy, but I think for the most part, what what we fail to pursue and appreciate is the opportunity to love food that loves us back. If you eat well most of the time, if you do choose wholesome foods and sensible combinations, your taste buds go through rehab. You actually learn to prefer more wholesome foods. And absolutely, you can go to Sally's and splurge occasionally, but but even when you're having a good time, you'll be eating better food because you'll just prefer better food. You'll be Mm -hmm. more sensitive to salt and sugar, and you'll prefer less processed foods with less additives. So, yes, Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll see you at Sally's one of these days. Fantastic. But that's a good point, too. You can, for all of our listeners, say, well, I don't like eating these foods, maybe the, some of the healthier ones you're talking about. You can train your taste buds. and you uh, That's a big deal. Yeah. So I, I call that taste bud rehab. Uh, taste buds are adaptable little fellas. When they can't be with the foods they think they love, they learn to love the foods they're with. And, and you can get them there just by trading up little by little. Better choices, mm-hmm. more wholesome, less processed, shorter ingredient lists. Absolutely. It doesn't take very long. And then the reward is, you know, as soon as you start to reshape your palate, then it rewards you for choosing better foods. And and it will do that for the rest of your life. And then you can enjoy both good food and good health. And frankly, I think that's the combination everybody wants. Yes. And it makes it easier to eat healthy when you enjoy what you're eating, too. It makes the whole lifestyle more pleasant and fun, as you mentioned. Now, I want to talk about, speaking of taste buds, artificial sweeteners. There's, you know, there's a lot of questions and we get a lot of questions from our listeners. You know, do these make, do these make you gain weight? Do they help you lose weight? What's the bottom line on them? Yeah, I don't, the bottom line is there is no bottom line, unfortunately. <laughs> so, you know, I, back in the day, I, I worked on air for Good Morning America and, and um, this was an area where Diane Sawyer was was always fascinated, and we did a number of segments on these, and lots of studies, but no definitive answer. There are some studies that suggest taking calories and sugars out of foods does help people in the short term with weight loss. Other studies suggest that the calories and sugar you take out by using artificial sweeteners just sneak back in a side door. There are factions in our population who who think that these chemicals are toxins, and, and, you know, even some conspiracy theorists in cyberspace who think that they've been willfully put into the food supply to kill people. (laughs) And then most recently there's been some research suggesting that artificial sweeteners in both animals and people can disrupt the microbiome that everybody's hearing so much about in ways that actually can lead to insulin resistance. The very thing you would hope a sugar substitute would help Mm -hmm. you avoid may be caused directly by a sugar substitute, and that's true of both aspartame and saccharin. So the, the bottom line, there are some new sugar substitutes, stevia and monk fruit extract, that look very interesting to me. They're not terribly sweet. 
they, they may actually have some favorable health properties. They may stabilize insulin levels. I'm intrigued by those. I think there may be some advantages. I am not convinced that artificial sweeteners are highly toxic. We've, we've exposed mm-hmm. tens of millions of people to these things for years and years. If there was any significant toxicity, we would have seen it. So there isn't. Mm-hmm. However, mm-hmm. what they don't do is what we just talked about. They don't rehabilitate your palate. They don't help you love more wholesome food because although they take out the sugar and the calories, they don't take out any of the sweetness. And so they help turn your sweet tooth into a sweet fang, making you want ever sweeter food. And frankly, there are so many sugar-laden foods in the U.S. food supply that if you've got a sweet tooth, you will find a way to crave it, even if you're not aware of it. You'll eat pasta sauce with added sugar, and you won't even know it. Mm -hmm. You'll eat salad dressing with added sugar, and you won't even know it. So I think it's far better to wean yourself off the added sweetness than to swap out sugar for chemicals. And I would say most of the evidence we have suggests that artificial sweeteners are of limited to no help for weight control. They're certainly of no particular help for health, whereas eating wholesome foods, drinking more water, are good for both health and weight. We have no questions about that. So for the most part, I would say if you eat and drink the right kinds of foods, there isn't much place in your diet for artificial sweeteners anyway. Okay. Again, sticking to the stuff that we know is healthy and training our palate to maybe like some, like that more and appreciate it more. Yep. Uh, and David, in our last minute and a half, I want to talk about how does this kind of preventive diet prevent yourself from getting sick? So many mechanisms, Daria, as, as you're aware of, uh, you know, essentially all the things about a healthy diet cut down on the pathways to chronic disease. They cut down on inflammation, They cut down on oxidation by loading us up with antioxidants. They cut down on atherogenesis, which is the process that produces plaque and gums up our arteries. So healthy eating essentially reverse engineers all that bad stuff. And, of course, food is the fuel that runs the human body. You put in high-performance fuel, all your organs run better. So your liver Mm -hmm. and your kidneys can detox you better. Your heart is pumping clean, fresh blood to your brain, so you think more clearly. Everything just works better. And the power of this, to go back to the beginning, is if we optimized our diets, didn't smoke, were physically active, just got a few things right, we have the potential to eliminate 80% of our personal risk over the course of a lifetime for heart disease, cancer, stroke, diabetes, dementia. And if we can train our kids to eat that way, we can give them a world where eight times in 10 these chronic diseases don't happen. I think one of the key challenges in preventive medicine now, Daria, is is Mm -hmm. for that message to resonate with the public, to be heard above all of the din, all of the nonsense, frankly, my diet Mm -hmm. can be your diet that that clutters up our culture. I'm working on that. Yeah, it's a big challenge. And and, and I think we need, you know, a coalition of experts to be heard. And so that's that's really the big project in my life at the moment. It's called the True Health Initiative. The True Health Initiative. And David, this has been awesome. We have to run again. That's the True Health Initiative. You can find more from Dr. Katz at davidkatzmd.com or check him out on Facebook at Dr. David L. Katz or on Twitter at Dr. David Katz. This is Dr. Daria, and you're listening to Share Care Radio on Radio MD. Radio MD.